We hope you enjoy our homily podcast. Please consider supporting the ministry of Our Lady of Lords by donating to the Future Full of Hope capital campaign at lordsdenver.org. We are so grateful for your support. Aside from the, the story that is the, the life of Jesus, I think this is perhaps the most beautiful that he tells in, um, in the Gospels, no? Luke 15, uh, this prodigal story. Um, we can relate to it in so many different ways. And um, there's way too much, way too much to be said. This is the kind of thing that you could pray for um, years Every day, you know, and just meditate on this and uh, the richness of this story. I immediately had thought, well, I'm a lot like this, um, this younger son, but I, instead of on dissipation, I have squandered my inheritance on um, choosing, uh, on um, losing teams for March Madness. <laughs> I have, I'm a sucker for the Catholic schools, so I watched them all lose. St. Mary's and SLU and Marquette and Villa, uh, Villanova and St. Uh, uh, Gonzaga yesterday. No? Um, so now I'm forced to either root for a state school or one, one of the Methodist teams. <laughs> I guess I go for the Christian ones then. Uh, yeah. The um, yeah the story is mostly about this father, um, and the church wants us to recognize the father. And I uh, there's there's something about the second reading that invites us to look at the example of the father and then to imitate the example of the father. The second reading is Saint Paul telling us that we are. Ministers, we have become ministers of reconciliation, missionaries of reconciliation, ambassadors for God in the world. Um, and he uses that as a way of defining this change that has taken place, this transformation that has taken place in the heart of a Christian um, through reconciliation with God, through the saving work of Jesus, through our baptism, that this whole life is defined by um, having been reconciled with God. And then when we're at peace with God, we can be a bridge for others. We can be missionaries of reconciliation to help patch up all the problems. And there's lots of them in a fallen world, in our world. Anger, frustration, resentment. People live that way, you know. And we're all called to be missionaries, um, to bring reconciliation to the world to bring peace to the world. But that, that presumes that we are um, receiving that reconciliation ourselves and that we're aware of that. So that we're not grasping through life like this young man um, who takes his inheritance and makes his way out into the world to get his own. You know? He's going to find his way. He's not happy. He's unsettled. And he thinks that he can uh, figure out, he can buy the right things, he can find the right things. In sin, he's looking for his own comforts, his own success. We don't exactly know. Something about uh, making his way in the world, you know, apart from his father's house, apart from the life that had been given. So there's, there's something about sin that is always for us a choice of some good. Do you think about it like that? We're trying to take care of ourselves. 
We're not choosing sin just because we're foolish, <laughs> and that we are for choosing sin. Um, but it's usually because we're trying to take care of something. We're grasping for, for peace. Um, we're trying to um, look for our own contentment. Uh, but sin leads to the wrong place. It leads us into this pit of despair. This, the metaphor in the story, in Jesus' story, is this um, pigsty. You know? This guy is at, really at bottom. That his own desires have led him, um, what he thinks is best, his plan, has led him into the, to the pigsty, to the bottom. This is... Um, you know, a place of hunger, it's dirty, it's low, he's working for Gentiles, he's um, associating with, he's so close to, to an animal that's unclean. Remember that pigs for Jews are just like the grossest thing ever, and they make you gross. Um, they, they alienate you from God, even. And here he is, far from God, far from home, far from his father, with no friends, not even anybody who would give him the corn cobs to eat, to feed his hunger. That's where, that's where sin can lead us. Um, yeah, but that's not where we belong, obviously. The, 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 this image of God, uh, the, the Father, is a beautiful image. You see, there's something here that tells us what ha- where God is when we're at rock bottom, where God is when we are suffering terribly, when we're victim of our own sin, when we're victim of the fall, when we're suffering things that we didn't, didn't ever look for in life. Where is that father? He's waiting for us on the road. The story says, while the son was still a long way off, the father caught sight of him. This is a father who has been waiting day in and day out, waiting for his son, waiting for his return. It's a beautiful image of God who um, is, is with us, this wise father, but also this long-suffering father um, who allows us to be free even to the point of choosing our, um, our sin over his love. Um, there's something of the story that tells us the providence in, even in sin, in evil, in suffering, that we're told by Scripture that all things work for good for those who love God, even our sin. You know? In the story, it's really the sin that brings this son to the point where he changes. He's different from his brother. When he goes home, he appreciates his father in the father's home um, in a way that his brother can't. Um, there's something that God can work even in uh, the depth of our sin and suffering. God doesn't ever choose that for us. He didn't send the son out into a life of dissipation. But in his freedom, um, he lets him choose this. And then there's something very trusting in the father that he weighs with, with hope because he knows his son. And he knows his son will return. And that he'll come to his senses, as the story says. Well, there's something that in, uh, about God's trust in us um, and the wisdom that, God, that the Father has a bigger picture. He sees things better than we see. Um, the story reminded me, I was just in Craig, Meeker, and Rangeley. Do you know where that is? I was assigned there for my first two years of priesthood. 
And um, they invited me and Father Jason Wunsch, my friend, to, to come up and do uh, lead missions this week. So it was great to go back and um, see everybody. It, you'd be amazed how attached a priest can get to his people. Um, I love them. I really miss them. It's actually kind of painful to be away, but I know that we're, um, we'll see them again. Uh, so I'm up there, and this, I'm praying about this story. I'm thinking about the, the, this weekend and preaching, and um, I saw this guy, Jared. He was one of my old altar servers. He's now a senior in high school, but he was a kid. That was like seven years ago, so he was a kid. And I remember one day Jared came up, came up uh, to serve the Mass, and he was crying, crying. And I said, Jared, what's wrong? And he says, I won first prize at the fair. <laughs> I said, Jared, why are you crying? That sounds good. You're going to pay for college and everything. And he says, uh, yeah, my dad told me not to cry, but it was hard to bring my hog to the butcher. <laughs> yeah, it would be. Oh, poor Jared. Uh, <laughs> oh, that kid, he's a, he was raising good hogs, though. I mean, this kid knows what he's doing. He won first prize. He told me this, this year he won, uh, what, it's like Grandmaster or something. There's even a more epic name for him. But uh, this father, I mean, it, it had me think just because it's a pig story and it's that kid. Uh, he's really cute. He looks like that kid from Up. Did you see the movie Up? <laughs> that little Boy Scout, little chubby guy. Yeah, that's my Jared. Uh, so, uh, but Jared's dad knows, I, this is going to be hard for my son. This is going to be hard for my son, but I got to let him do this. He's getting to the right age, and he's going he's gonna to be a good farmer. He's going to be a good rancher, but he's got to get through this step. It's going to help him grow up this suffering. And, um, and so they do it. You know, in the country, there's a point where you got to go, and you got to take that hog. Um, and there's something of like an oversight that the father puts up with the suffering of his son because he knows it's going to be better for him. Um, there's something that the Lord really allows us um, in our suffering. You have to trust that God knows your suffering um, and that he's doing something powerful and beautiful with it. Um, if nothing else, it's going to make us appreciate grace all the more. When the son comes back, he celebrates. He's invited to this feast he knows the value of the ring on his finger. He knows the value of this garment and of the fatted calf slaughtered for him. You can imagine him and anybody who cares about him dancing and singing with the music. You know? These details from Luke. Okay, there's another brother. And the other brother has a hard time dancing and singing. You know? He's frustrated. Um, he's angry the story tells us. And his father tries to help reconcile him, just like he reconciles the younger one. He tries to talk to his son. He goes out to meet his son, and he says, um, this is time to rejoice. This is our time to rejoice. And he says, I have, I've been there for you your whole life. You know? God, this is God having provided, um, welcoming him, ready to throw the, throw the, the party and um, to celebrate the life of this son as well. Um, but he says, now is time, it's time to rejoice um, for your brother. He's, an, he's a witness to reconciliation, and he gives us the paradigm for what reconciliation looks like. 
when we know and value that, uh, that forgiveness that we've received, we can rest and be, and be filled with contentment that can then overflow, a grace that can overflow. The, the first reading gives us this image of the Israelites who come into the promised land. They've been wandering the, the desert for 40 years. They have been freed from Egypt and had been promised that they would come to the promised land, um, a land of milk and honey. And now they've made it, and they're celebrating the first Passover. They're looking back saying, God has rescued us, and it's a beautiful high point in salvation history. It's also a, 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 a story that tells us what we're destined for in heaven. This perfect rest, this perfect, perfect celebration. The book of Revelation calls it the wedding feast of the Lamb. The feast of the Lamb. It's like in that story of the, the prodigal son, this father throwing the feast. It's a feast that we all share in um, when we come to Mass. When we come to Mass, we get a foretaste of that feast of heaven. Just a little piece. We say, blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. That's you and me. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. There's an opportunity here to come and feast with God. You know, to be at rest with God. To, um, to enter into the promised land, a place of rest, a place, a place of perfect joy. The responsorial psalm said, uh, let, us, let, let your face be radiant with joy. It's a beautiful image. Um, when we receive the Lord, when we, when we receive the Lord uh, knowing what we're receiving, when we're disposed to receive this, when we, when we taste and see the goodness, when we delight in the feast that we're invited to, it fills our life with joy. Let your face be radiant with joy. Um, it's like the, the face of young lovers, you know? They just can't, they can't hide it, the joy. We got a lot of young lovers in this parish. <laughs> so you've probably seen a lot of that. Uh, it's great. It's great. It's the, it's the look of people in heaven. And it's the look that we're invited um, to leave Mass with, to come to, to, come to Mass um, and be reminded, to be, to be filled with the grace of God. Knowing that there's problems out there, that we're leaving the problems and, and we're going back in some way to problems. Um, but in order to savor these things, God is kind of an, an acquired taste. In order to savor, uh, to rest in God, to have that moment, imagine coming to Mass and you, you throughout the Mass, on this, uh, this day of the Sabbath of rest, this place of um, the feast of the Lamb, where you could say, everything is perfect in my life. No? Right now, all is well. No? And you're not thinking of the past, you're not thinking of the future, you're thinking of this moment, and you're resting, delighting. You know? That's the sun dancing, singing at this party. Um, yeah, that's possible. Let me read to you a prayer that I like from um, St. Ignatius of Loyola. I was teaching a little bit about St. Ignatius on this um, mission, so I've been using this prayer. I really like it because it expresses something of this sort of finality to the Christian life. He's, this is called the sushi pay. You know this one? The sushi pay? Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty. 
my memory, my understanding, and my entire will. All I have and call my own, you have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Now, that's that expression. Give me your love and your grace. And he does. That is enough for me. It's perfect. It's everything we need. Um, but we have a lot of other things that we think we need. And he calls this my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my will. And he says we got to detach from them. we got to give them to God. And it opens our heart. It opens our heart to be able to receive this love and this grace in a very restful and satisfying way, to delight in the goodness of the Lord, to taste it. Um, yeah. So part of Mass is this offering. We come to give up our lives on the altar with Jesus, to unite our lives to, to the sacrifice and then to offer it to the Father. And part of our prayer, part of the art of being a Catholic is uh, to learn how to offer these little bits of our life as we come to know them, um, to offer things to the Father. Here you can have more of my life. Here you can have more of my life. Um, and the more specific we can be, the more helpful it is. So I wanted to get down to two possibilities here, two um, facets of this, uh, who we are, what we have to offer. Um, one is this understanding, and the other is memory. You know, much could be said about what we are, uh, who we are, and what we can offer to God. But um, today, two points. One is um, that we can give to the Lord our understanding. That is, I think I know. I think I have a plan for my life. I, know, I think I know what will make me happy. I think I'll know what other people what will make other people happy. I think I know what's best. Um, yeah, I often think this way. Um, this is a temptation for everybody. You know? And we offer it to the, we're invited to offer it to the, to the Father. Here's my opinions. Here's my understanding. Here's my plans. This Father who knows better, you know, he's got the, he's got the plan. And insofar as we really know, God will give it back to us. Yeah, do that. That's a good plan. You know, but you got to offer it to him and say, okay, well, I don't have to do it my way. I don't have to think my way. I don't have to have my way. And maybe he'll invite us uh, to recognize the good of our plan. Or maybe he'll say, no, that's a bad plan. It's not best for you. Uh, here's mine. You know? um, I bet you'll get more of your way than you think. <laughs> uh, you're probably right about most things. <laughs> maybe. Uh, <laughs> The, uh, yeah, the plan, of God, the plan of God is better than our own. Give, give him your understanding. Give him all of your understanding. Um, get, offer him all of your memories. Give him all the good and all the, all the evil. This one, is, this one is tough. I want to read this quote from um, a friend gave me the, the mystical writings of this woman, Catalina, from El Salvador. I don't even know when she lived. Um, do you know that this is, this is called private revelation, these sort of mystical prayers and encounters with God that people write down? Do you know the difference between the private and the public revelation? Public revelation is like doctrine of the church, everything in the catechism. It's what we, have, what we believe communally, what you have to believe uh, to say that you're Catholic. To, um, it's, the, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ himself 
and it's in the scriptures and tradition. Um, private revelation is revelations that God could give to people for their own edification, um, speaking into their own life or the life of the people around them. So um, private revelations, you don't really have to believe. You don't have to put your faith in. You could say, Father Mike, you and your crazy Catalina. <laughs> but uh, this is beautiful, and I think it's, it's um, the, the voice of Christ. Okay, she was praying, she's praying the Mass, and then she's like um, seeing the spiritual realities in Mass, the angels, the saints, Jesus, Mary, uh, present there. And um, she's kind of reflecting on the Mass. She says this, When we were about to pray the Our Father, the Lord spoke for the first time during the celebration and said, Wait, I want you to pray with the deepest profundity that you can summon. At this moment, I want you to bring to mind that person or persons who have done you the most harm during your life, so that you may embrace them close to your bosom and say to them from your heart, In the name of Jesus, I forgive you and wish you peace. In the name of Jesus, I ask for your forgiveness and wish you my peace. If the person merits peace, he or she will receive it and greatly benefit from it. If that person is not capable of opening up to peace, then that peace will return to your heart. But I do not want you to receive or offer peace to others when you are not capable of forgiving and feeling that peace in your own heart first. Beware of what you do, continued the Lord. You repeat in the Our Father, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. If you are capable of forgiving and not forgetting, as some say, you are conditioning the forgiveness of God. You are saying, forgive me only as I am capable of forgiving, but not further. It's challenging, but it's beautiful, no? Um, yeah. I want you to bring to mind that person or persons who have done you the most harm, the most, during your life, so that you may embrace them close to your bosom and say to them from your heart, in the name of Jesus, I forgive you and wish you peace. This is an incredible reality in our, in our Christian life, that it's not just that we leave all of the problems out there and then come in and enjoy the feast with God. It's that God can cure us from the inside out. He can take away that anger. That even sitting here, uh, he, can, he can convert our past. He can give us love where there is resentment, where there's fear, where there's anger. Um, he can transform us. And then the experience of God, that taste for God, uh, really changes. You know, the new creation. That's really possible for us. So I challenge you to take the risk. You know, trust in God. Take the risk of letting go of your resentment, uh, letting go, of forgiving someone that um, doesn't deserve forgiveness. Um, think of a person who has harmed you, and let let it go. Uh, forgive them and let go. It'll help. Uh, it'll help you savor Christ. It'll help you savor grace, and it'll help you to be um, more of a missionary of reconciliation. Um, someone who can forgive, forgive quickly and easily, can help other people with forgiveness. Um, yeah, keep offering your lives on the altar um, and receive Jesus back, even if you're not ready. Even if you're not ready to do this, um, God is patient. Jesus tells this story because he wants to hang out with sinners. 
And the Pharisees and scribes are saying, don't mess yourself with those people. Um, we need to provide a place for God to be. You know? their, their concern is a good religious concern, which was that the Jews were supposed to protect the temple and their religion as a, a place of perfect purity and cleanliness so that God could dwell there. So God had a place in the world. Um, what they didn't know was that God had a plan to flip the whole thing on its head. That God is so holy that it's not a matter of people perfecting this place and providing a place for him, but he comes in to the world, and then Jesus goes around and makes everybody else holy, wherever he is. And he's in this place, making us holy, transforming this world. Um, that's beautiful. That's a huge gift. Welcome to the um, Feast of the Lamb. <laughs>